Well, it has already been a joy this morning to have Katie Murphy stand up in front of us with others and sing this morning. Wasn't that a blessing to see her? Katie, great to have you here this morning. I hope, uh, I, I don't know what your plans are, but if you want to come back here permanently, we're always, oh, yeah, you know, it might be a little expensive every Sunday, but uh, maybe occasionally we can do that. It'd be great to have you back. You will remember that uh, last week I mentioned that we'd had a, a break-in in our automobile when we were down in uh, Oregon. And just about the time that I assembled all of the information for the insurance company and got all of that done this week, and was pretty happy that all of that had happened and got, uh, that, it, that had gotten done, I got a phone call uh, from my twin sister and, uh, and told me that there had been a tragedy in our family. And um, my other sister's grandson, who was 14 years old, on Friday morning, very early, uh, took a 2017 Chevy Silverado and drove it into a tree at 120 miles an hour. And uh, he'd stolen his grandmother's truck and, uh, and took his own life uh, from what everybody can tell, it was, it was quite intentional. So I don't know if I'm going to have to go to Oregon in the next uh, couple of days. It all depends on when the funeral is and, uh, and what I think might be the best course of action there. But uh, there have been a number of things that have happened lately. Uh, Jonathan and Hope and Dustin and I have talked about this a lot, actually, about um, just all the things that have happened recently where it seems like uh, things connected to our lives uh, in the negative or occurring, and you just think, you know, it's, what, is Satan, what is Satan doing here? What, you know, what is going on? And it, and it could just be that, you know, there's just this general impact of evil in our world that is, uh, is just so awful and impacting so many lives. It's, um, it's not surprising that it would come into our lives because it's coming into so many lives. And especially uh, when, when young people start taking their lives, it is, uh, it is a huge tragedy. So I would really request your prayers and, uh, for our family. Many of you know my story. I, you know, there's, there's a lot of turmoil in the, in the extended Carter family. I'm awfully grateful that God has blessed me. Uh, the, the Lord Jesus Christ is my Lord. And because He is, it changes everything. And, uh, and you are so much my family. And it is such a blessing. I was, I was texting with a niece of mine yesterday. And she's one of the few uh, in my extended family who kind of has it together. Um, and I was texting her, and I just said, you know, uh, if, it wasn't for, if it wasn't for my relationship with the church and with God and with the extended family that I have here in front of me, you know, I, I would imagine that I would be in the same place as all of those other people. I'm, I'm hoping that I can go down in the next few days and, and somehow be a light to some people who really need it. So please, if you would pray with me about that. I would really appreciate it. And I want you to join me uh, in prayer this morning. And we're going to do something a little bit different here. You know, occasionally I'll start a sermon with a prayer, and I always end a sermon with a prayer. Today I want you to pray with me out loud a prayer. I, I'll say the few, first few words, and then I want you to say the rest of this prayer with me if you would. God bless us today that we might hear from you and not from me. 
Fill our hearts with the attitude toward people and the world that is the attitude of your Son. Through our connection to you, develop in our hearts a desire to serve others, even as those moments of our lives when there are things are not perfect. Sorry, I messed that up at the end here. Let's do that last phrase again. Even at those moments of our lives when things are not perfect. And I really pray that God blesses us today with that. I want you to turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 6. We are going through a series on the ways in which Jesus ministers to people. And today we're going to look at the feeding of the 5,000, which is a great story. It's the only miracle that Jesus performed that is in all, five, uh, all four Gospels. I started to say all five Gospels. Then you would really question whether or not I knew what I was talking about. This is the only miracle in all four of the Gospels. And I think because it blew the church away and they wanted to tell the story. Mark chapter 6, and, uh, and look at verse 30 for me. The apostles g- gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples said to him, This is a remote place, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, and taking the five loaves and two fish... And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was about 5,000. Well, as we start into the story, there's some things I want you to recognize first uh, about the context of the telling of this incident, because it really is significant what goes on here. The setting, I think, speaks loudly to what it is that Jesus does here. First of all, the disciples return from having been sent out. Just prior to this, earlier in chapter 6, Jesus sent them out. We read the story in, in all the other Gospels, I think, except John, about the sending out of the disciples. And there is a certain amount of victory that goes on. They see some real success. And so they come back, and although they're weary, they're also excited. And Jesus sees their weariness, even with their excitement, he wants to talk to them. So one of the reasons that Jesus decides to go away with them into a quiet place is because they're tired and weary and yet have been successful, and they have tons of things to talk about, which is, that's a a poignant moment, really. 
Jesus sending out the disciples into the world for significant ministry. They come back, and he wants to make sure that they can reflect together on what it is that has been going on. That's the first kind of contextual element here. The second is this. They didn't even have time to eat. And that's because people just keep coming. Like we've looked at this many times before, how the crowds follow Jesus around. Jesus is a rock star. They're following him. They want to touch him. They want to be in his presence. And he can't get a moment of rest. And some of you have actually, I think, been like this. In fact, some of you mothers out there probably could say these very words. I'm so busy. I'm so tired. And your husband comes home and you say to him, I haven't had a chance to eat today. You know, you know I, I, uh, yeah, Greg's laughing because he's heard that so many times. You know, Diane probably, I'm going to pick on you now. Diane takes the kids to school, and then she goes to Costco. She does shopping for an hour and a half. She comes back to the house. She does a load of laundry. She studies for a while, maybe on a Bible study that she's working on with somebody else. She prepares, if she's like my wife, a class that she's going to teach. Then she cleans the house for a while. She goes and picks up the kids again from school. She takes some of them to soccer. She takes some of them to violin. While they're doing that, she goes and runs some more errands, and then goes and picks them back up again. In the meantime, while she was home, she started the slow cooker and got it going for dinner, but when she comes home after getting the kids from soccer and from violin, maybe, finds out that the slow cooker wasn't even turned on. She forgot to plug it in. Now she's got to do something about supper, so she calls and orders pizza. And about the time Greg gets home, then the pizza guy shows up, and he wonders what in the world she's been doing all day. How come she has to order pizza? Why didn't she cook? What's the matter with this woman? And she says to him, are you crazy? I haven't even had a chance to sit down all day and even eat because I've been so busy. And of course, Jesus has it far, far, far worse than that. Throngs of people around him constantly, pestering him, coming to him, asking him questions, asking him to heal. The blind and the lame and the demon-possessed are constantly hounding Christ. And he just wants to get away for a few minutes with the disciples and minister to them and talk with them and spend some time. And then on top of all of this, if you look at the story just prior to this in the Gospel of Mark, you'd find that John the Baptist had just been killed. Who is John the Baptist? Well, he's, just not, he's not just the prophet that had come before Jesus. This is his cousin. This is a relative whom he loved. This is his predecessor in ministry. This is someone who had predicted his coming. This is someone who had baptized him. They had grown up together. And Jesus finds out that John the Baptist has been beheaded by Herod. And then it's not just that his loved one has been killed. But Jesus sees, I'm sure, in the event of the death of John the Baptist, a precursor to his own death. And in seeing the death of his good friend and his colleague in ministry, is it not the case that he would think about what's impending for him, what's coming? And not only that, but what's coming for him is going to be so much worse than what there was for John. And these kinds of things, these at least the three things I've just mentioned, would be on the mind of Jesus as he goes with the disciples across the the sea there in a boat and tries to seek some quiet time. 
And so in light of all of that, there's at least one question that it seems to me we have to raise this morning. How could Jesus even begin to think of ministering to others and mentoring his disciples when he had so much on his mind? Like, isn't it the case that with so many of us, and I'm sure that this is true with somebody out there who loves the Lord and who wants to serve Christ with all their heart. Like, you love Jesus. You want to serve Him. You want to be there for Him. You want to be there in the ministry of the church. And for those who need you, you want to serve the Lord. I have no doubt about it, but aren't there times when in the midst of all the things that are going on in your life, that you say to yourself, I don't even know where to begin. How would I begin to have time? Where would I start? How would I ever do anything significant? All the things that are going on in my life, how can I possibly do the things for Jesus that he wants me to do? And so Jesus, in the midst of his time of busyness, invites the disciples for a cruise across the lake. Now, I don't know about you, but it doesn't seem to me like this would necessarily be a great holiday for Jesus. When he does get there across the lake on the other side with the disciples, everyone is looking for him. Can you imagine, uh, Patty and and, uh, Kevin, can you imagine going to the island for a little bit of repose, some rest, and when you get there, you go down to the beach in Comox, Maybe you've made the trip down to Parksville. You're on this beautiful beach or you're walking to the beach and you get there and all of a sudden, Kevin, all your colleagues are there with their laptops waiting to ask you questions. What if you get there and a sister calls from Britain and she says, your brother's had a heart attack. Can you come? We need you. What if you get there and a client calls and says, my house sale appears not to be going through, what am I going to do? And all of the rest, all that you had planned for in terms of repose and relaxation goes out the window because there is a crowd there on the beach waiting for you when you arrive. I don't think that would be much of a holiday. And so Jesus gets into a boat with his disciples, goes across the sea, thinking that maybe he's going to get away from the throngs, and instead, they get there faster than he does, and they're on the beach waiting for him when he arrives. And so it doesn't seem to me like this is going exactly as Jesus would want it to go. Where would you be? Where would, where would Kevin and Patty be mentally? if that was to take place? Where would you be? What would you be thinking when you get to the spot where you think you're going to find some time of rest and instead there's a throng there waiting for your attention, pressing upon you? And in this case, it's a leper and it's a lame man, it's a blind man, it's a demon-possessed man screaming at you when you step onto the beach. I know who you are, the Son of God. What have you come here to do to me? That's the kind of welcome that Jesus got when he arrived for his rest. The amazing thing to me is that in the midst of that, Jesus doesn't seem to lose it. 
In fact, he never loses his focus. He never loses, in the midst of all of that, Jesus never loses his concern for the people who are there in the throng that are confronting him. He's not a basket case. Instead, he fills baskets with food and feeds people. And it's fascinating to me the contrast even between Jesus and the disciples. I want you to look at verse 35. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now that's a nice way to say this, but what the disciples are really saying is, can you please get rid of all of these people? They are driving us crazy. We don't even have an opportunity to eat. We've come back from this missionary trip. We're tired. We want to talk to you. We've got things to share with you. The thousands are still here, and you just keep allowing them to be here. Please, Jesus, get rid of them. And Jesus, again, in contrast, responds to these people, both the disciples and the throng, with grace. And not just grace, but with interest. You know, sometimes here at the building, we've had numerous people that come here during the day. People will come and they will ask for food. And they'll come and they'll ask for money. Or maybe they just come and they want our time. And, and I'll tell you the truth, sometimes it's quite an interruption. Like, I know it sounds crazy that people would come here asking for something like food, and it would be an interruption from ministry, <laughs> You think, what? But it can really be that way. And so there are some times when the staff can be here all day long and it's a constant interruption, people coming, asking us for things. And, and, and again, it sounds, it sounds contradictory. Like, it takes us away from our work. That, it doesn't make sense. But sometimes it does feel that way. And then, sometimes I'll be here on a, on a Tuesday night with the elders and we'll be in the middle of a meeting and maybe we'll be in the middle of prayer after we've been feeding people and taking care of them all day long, and I'll be in the, the library with the elders, and the doorbell rings. And I know exactly what it is. It's somebody coming at 8.30 at night asking for food. Now, what do you think goes through my head at that point? Like, I'd like to say to, that I just thought, oh, well, here's another opportunity for me to serve. Here's another person for me to bless. But there are times when maybe all the rest of the elders are praying and I get up from this meeting and I go to the door and I'm thinking to myself, don't you know that you're not supposed to be hungry past 4.30? Like, don't, don't you know that we stop serving and giving out food and blessing people like you when the office closes and you're not supposed to come back at night and still ask for food? It's amazing that they don't abide by those rules but they don't, and sometimes it happens, and sometimes I don't have the attitude of Jesus. And Jesus wants us to. And these people, it seems, were not irritants for him. They were kind of, I think, irritants for the disciples, and it may be that the disciples themselves were irritants for Jesus. 
Like you'd think that maybe after all the things they had done that they would have a little bit of a different attitude. Guys, you just got back from casting out demons. You just got back from healing the sick and experiencing the wonderful things, the power of the kingdom. Can the burden of the crowd really be so awful for, for you when you have been seeing God work with such power? Instead, he uses this occasion, instead of saying that kind of thing to them, he simply uses this occasion for a wonderful teaching moment. And then, of course, not just for the disciples, but ultimately, of course, for you and for me. Because ultimately, this story is told for our sakes. It may be told, first of all, so that you and I would see who Jesus is. Like, there are 5,000 people who are fed. 5,000 men, it says, who are fed. And so it's told in one sense that we might be convinced of the presence and the power of God in the person of Jesus. It's told so that we'll always remember that God is the one who is able to feed people and to bless them, who's able to take our meager offerings of service given to Him and do wonderful things through us. There's nothing that Jesus can't do and won't do for a blessing and for the sake of His people and His kingdom. It's interesting, by the way, Jonathan and I were talking this week, he, I don't know if this was a professor or a friend, someone put you onto a book, though, that told this story much differently, something like that, okay? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was listening carefully. Okay, and the, and the idea that was shared was, Maybe what happened here was that instead of Jesus performing a miracle, there actually was just a movement where after the boy says, well, I've got some loaves and fishes here, everybody all of a sudden kind of broke out with their own food. And there was this attitude and heart change on the part of all those who attended, and they would, uh, you know, they would, instead of holding their food to themselves, would actually then begin sharing. And the reason why there's so much food left at the end is because everybody finally kind of broke free and was able to share their food. Now, I, I actually, I, that's a beautiful story, by the way. If it did kind of happen that way, it, it would be neat. And, in, and because people are who they are, that in itself would be a miracle. I don't think that's what really happened. You know, the way the story is told, it's told as a miracle story. My sense is that Jesus actually performs a miracle here. And that because he does, we can recognize who Jesus is. The story is, in fact, a miracle. There's a testimony here about Christ. What kind of power does he have? What kind of person is he? All of that, I think, comes true in this story. But then it's not told just for that purpose. It's also told because Jesus himself not only does miracles, but has incredible compassion for his people in the midst of those miracles. And so, Trev, you want to help me there? His compassion for people, it would seem, drives him in this story. What is it that it says Jesus has as an attitude as he reflects upon who these people are? Throngs around him, people asking him things everywhere. The disciples coming and saying, send them away. And Jesus looks at them and what does it say? That he had compassion on them. That he looks at these people and he says that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And they need him. And so, reflecting upon these people, he has incredible compassion and a willingness to serve. I have to admit to you that I, in reflecting on my own family in the last day, I've been trying to figure out what my role is. Like, what is it 
as I go down, I think probably to Oregon in the next week, and talk to all kinds of family members, many of whom have lives that are just train wrecks. What's my role? Like for some of them, I'm just going to be the the uncle that they've barely seen, but they've heard about. For others, I have been a lifelong companion, but who stands at a completely different place than they do. What's my role going to be? And in the midst of that, if nothing else, I hope I have some compassion. And in fact, I may end up seeing some of my family as those who are sheep without a shepherd and who need Jesus so badly as their shepherd. And so his compassion for people drives him, and I pray that in the next few days that his compassion ends up driving me. You know, Jesus never stops thinking of those around him. Not even so that he can think about himself and his own problems for a moment. And you know, there are so many times, and this happens in my life as much as it does in yours, but there are so many times in our lives, even as Christians, when we say to ourselves, just leave me alone, I need to focus on myself for a few minutes. And I know that Jesus, even in going across the sea, was in some sense attempting to do that. But ultimately, what we find in Christ is one who simply says, I love people so much and I have so much compassion for them that he finds it within himself to serve them even when he is weary and hounded. What is it that enables him to do that? What empowers him? What blesses him? so that he can do that. Have you ever been in such a hurry or had so much going on that you simply didn't stop and think to pray? Have you ever been so busy, and I have done this, so busy that when you come to the meal at the end of the day with your family and you sit down to eat, that you are either too tired or too busy to actually offer a blessing. I've had that happen. There there are countless times, probably. Like, in our family, 95 times out of 100, I'm the one who says the prayer at the dinner table. That's That's my role. I say it. But there have been times when I've sat down at the dinner table, and I'm so weary, and I'm so overcome with whatever's going on at the moment, that when I sit down, all that comes out is a great big sigh. And at that moment, Robin looks at me and she says, would you like me to say the prayer tonight? And I say, yes. And she does. Because sometimes life is such that we are so overcome, so weary, so tired that these things just, they weigh us down. I'm blown away that in the midst of this story, It says that as Jesus prepares to to take the fish and the bread and give them to the people, that in the midst of the throngs that are around him and the people that are pressing against him and all that's going on, it says that Jesus did what? Looked to the heavens and blessed the food. And I think what we find there 
is an indication of exactly what it made possible, what made possible for Jesus to be the person he was in the middle of the circumstance. Because not only did Jesus have incredible compassion upon people, but Jesus had a connection to his Father that was constant, that was consistent, that enabled him and empowered him at moments of crisis, at moments of great pain, to still be and do exactly the kind of things that Jesus needed to be and to do. Not only does his compassion for others drive Jesus to minister, even in the midst of absolute chaos, but there's constantly the connection that he exercises between himself and his Father that sustains and empowers him. And I really think that's the case. So that Jesus, when he looks at the heavens, he's not just going through a formality like we sometimes do when we say the prayer at a meal. He's really praying. He's looking to his Father. He's thanking him and asking his Father to bless the moment as he ministers. Compassion and connection, it seems to me, in this story, are the keys to ministering in the way of Jesus. And I just wonder, as you reflect on the incredible busyness that I know is present in so many of your lives, I just wonder whether or not compassion and connection can't be for you the key to you ministering in a way like Jesus. Fill our hearts then. Let's stand and say this together. This is the prayer that we prayed at the beginning. Fill our hearts with the attitude toward people and the world that is the attitude of your Son. Through our connection to you, develop in our hearts a desire to serve others, even at those moments of our lives when things are not perfect. I pray the Lord answers for you this week that prayer.